everything that moves. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. That's right. It's the Eagle Eye in the Sky football podcast here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. With me, as he will be every single week, NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, how are you tonight? Well, it's good that the Eagles won after a little bit of a scare, Fran. I mean, we were watching the game on Sunday, and uh, I, I know I did say to you when it was 17 nothing that the Eagles were, would win the game. You did? I don't know if I said that with a whole lot of conviction, though. You were, you were more convicted than I would imagine someone would be at 17 nothing at halftime. Well, I guess I guessed right. Yeah, no, you did. It was uh, we we were sitting there. We watched the whole game together uh, for the first time. There you go. And uh, yeah, it, it didn't go all according to plan. But obviously, the Eagles came out on top. It was thirty-four straight points in the second half. And uh, you know, really, all's well that ends well. Uh, what were your initial takeaways after watching the film? Well, unfortunately, you know, I think offensively there are some things that they'll have to work on. I'm probably not saying anything out of school here. I imagine Chip Kelly will do that. Nick Foles was not really sharp in this game. Uh, he didn't see things clearly. I think he missed some opportunities. There was nothing wrong with the scheming or the game plan or anything like that, which is an immediate thought people have when things don't go well. There were plenty of opportunities that were there that Nick just, for whatever reason, just did not see clearly and did not take advantage of. I think they'll work on the run game this week. Obviously, they've got some O-line issues, but it was not the run game with McCoy in particular that we were used to seeing. But then you saw some Chip Kelly elements, the fourth and one hurrying up to the line and Sproles uh, running 49 yards for a touchdown. All tempo. All tempo, right, exactly. And obviously, the big touchdown to Macklin which is a great play, but it's a play you can't count on every week because it was such a defensive mistake. But, hey, those things happen in games, and they were fortunate. Uh, the defense really came on strong after a little bit of a slow start, and you would have expected that because it's not a real good Jacksonville offense, not a good O-line, um, not a real strong run game. So they did what they had to do after a sluggish start. It was interesting after talking all offseason about how teams are going to play man coverage against the Eagles. That's what we saw for the majority of 2013. Until the Saints in, in the playoffs. That's a good point. And the Eagles struggled with that. Yeah. And the uh, it was majority zone for uh, Jacksonville. Exactly. And it's going to be very interesting as we go forward. I think we might have touched upon this a little last week, but just as a reminder, is I think teams are going to be a lot more proactive playing the Eagles now. They're going to mix and match. They're not going to play one defense. Last year they saw a ton of man. And which made sense, but I think uh, defenses now will be a lot more proactive. They'll pressure. They'll try to move people around. Don't forget, when you snap the ball really quickly, the O-line can't make adjustments. And I think that teams, I don't want to say they'll guess because everything is tendency-based. Every Play calling on both sides is based on probability and tendency, not on certainty. You don't know for sure, but teams will get a feel and they'll try to attack certain situations, break down uh, the, the pass protections. We'll see as the season goes on. It's going to be a really fun year for someone like me because I think it's going to be a real tactical and schematic season, both for the Eagles on offense and the defenses that match up to them. And to your point, I, I'm really interested to see, obviously we, we you talked about the, the missed opportunities down the field. I'm going to be very interested to see what defenses look to do if teams continue to play more zone 
and the Eagles continue to attack because, like I said, there were receivers there. Yep. Uh, if we start to hit on those opportunities, will teams get a little bit more gun shy and look to say, okay, maybe we'll let's rest back on our laurels a little bit more and see if we can they can beat us in man coverage. Well, again. and it's funny you say that because I think that will be the next step in Nick Foles' development. Yep. Because when you play man. It's defined. Yeah. The throws are immediately defined. You're not you just have to choose which receiver ultimately, based on where a safety might be, where you're throwing the ball. Yeah. When you're playing zone and you're facing zone, it's a little more of a progression reading concept of where how receivers work through zone areas. Do they settle down? Do they run through them? There's a little more reading involved for the quarterback, and I think that's now the next step for Nick Foles. Will he be comfortable pulling the trigger on some throws that might be between defenders? Uh, sometimes he's not been real comfortable doing that. If they see more zone, he's going to have to make those kinds of throws. What I'm excited for is the last time you know Nick Foles had a, a, a not so great game was uh, last year against Dallas, and the next time he took the field was against Oakland. Obviously, Oakland isn't quite where we're going to see Monday night against Indianapolis, but he threw seven touchdowns, and you know he he showed the ability to rebound off of uh, what was a yep. subpar performance. And you know he talked about it Sunday night that it wasn't great, uh, and I'm sure once he talks this weekend you know, later on this week, it'll be the same deal. Well, so. I'm uh I'm I'm interested to see how he bounces back. This, well, this we know he's night. a worker. Yep. So you know, and and I think, without knowing him well, I think he's got a great head for coming to work every day and putting things behind him. I don't think he will dwell on Sunday's performance. I think he will look ahead. Now, I'll be fascinated. The Colts play a lot of man coverage as their staple. Yep. That's exactly so right. So the question is, will they continue to do that, or will Chuck Pagano? try to mix more zone I mean Vontae Davis is a very very good man corner mm -hmm. a lot, not a lot of people talk about him he's probably one of the top five man coverage corners in the NFL and he's an aggressive kid um, the issue becomes if they play a lot of man they've got some issues they have Dequell Jackson who's more of a run stuffer than a, than a coverage defender. In fact, the, uh, the Broncos on Monday night were able to get him in coverage on Julius Thomas, yep. and that did not go well for uh, Dequell Jackson. Even Jarrell Freeman, the other linebacker, uh, he, he struggled when he had to go out and defend Julius Thomas on the outside. So will we see Zach Ertz lined up on the outside as the single receiver in maybe a three-by-one set where, where Ertz is the one, the single receiver, and they get him matched up on Freeman, the linebacker? I think we're going to see it. The question is, do the Eagles take advantage of it? And that's the thing, you know, watching Indianapolis, you saw that when Denver came out in 12 personnel... Which they, they did... And again, we often. don't know if it's a function of Welker not being there, but they did on 34 snaps in that game. And when and often when they did, Denver was or uh, Indianapolis was in base. They came out. They every didn't play, snap. Yeah, they came out in base. They didn't come out in nickel. They came out and they said, "Okay, we're gonna. You guys are coming out with 12 personnel. We're expecting run. We're gonna play with our base." And like you said, there were plays where Julius Thomas is flexed out as the the lone receiver to the backside, and Jarrell Freeman is the is the linebacker over top of him. That's a matchup that you're going to take if you're Peyton Manning and Julius Thomas. The only the only thing the Colts did to acknowledge that they had to face Julius Thomas was they took Landry out of the game and put Butler in the game, who's their third corner. Yep. But they still were in their base 3-4. They just played with three corners and one safety. To, yep. They did that maybe seven or eight snaps, and Landry was out of the game. But when you line up in a three-by-one set, the single receiver is 99.9% .9 of the time to the boundary side. Right. To the short side of the field. Yep. And you're going to get pretty much a boundary lock with whoever the defender is. 
because it's very hard for a safety. You know, it's, first of all, it's hard to play a true two shell to a three by one. It's hard. You know, you can, but it'll be interesting to see. I think Chip Kelly will look to take advantage of it. That's why you draft Zach Ertz. Exactly. That's why you take him with the 35th pick in the draft. Yep, and the, and the last team that we saw that kind of defended that way was Arizona, and that was a big game for uh, for Zach Ertz in that game as well. We saw him Hall. matched up on Darrell Washington, who's more athletic than either DeQuell Jackson or Jarrell Freeman, and Ertz was able to make some catches on Darrell Washington. No question. So, uh, obviously, we're going to transition a little bit to the Eagles' defense here. Uh, what were some things that you saw that impressed you? I know, really, obviously, going up against Jacksonville's yeah. O-line, they, they had some issues. I thought Luke Jokel, who... Uh, was you know obviously a high first round pick last year, really really struggled with Fletcher Cox. Fletcher Cox really I mean had probably one of his best games as an certainly Eagle, his think, best game since Bill Davis became the coordinator. Yeah, and you know in in the quote unquote three four defense. Yep, uh, very impressed with the play of the safeties, Malcolm Jenkins and Nate Allen. I thought Malcolm Jenkins. Yeah, you know Malcolm Jenkins is in a sense the D'Amico Ryan's of the secondary. Yep, he really understands how to play. He understands formations. He understands personnel. He understands what teams run out of certain formation looks, personnel looks, and he can be used in a variety of ways. He can he can play deep. He can play in the box. You can play him in the slot. You can blitz him. He's a multiple safety, and I think that that that's why the Eagles signed him. You know, I think they knew what they were getting. You know, we may not compare him to the best two or three safeties in the game, but he gives you an awful lot. Exactly right. And and really, I mean, you look across that defense on Sunday, and I thought that obviously across all three levels, yeah. you really like what, what they did on third down. Uh, and really what I, I touched on in my piece earlier on Monday night was they won third down one of two ways. Either they won at the line of scrimmage at the point of attack with Benny Logan and Fletcher Cox, Seth Thornton, Connor Barwin was great, uh, again, setting the edge. And then they won with scheme where they were sugaring the A-gaps. They'd bring two guys up, whether it was D'Amico and Kendricks, whether it was Nolan Carroll, yeah. whether it was uh, – they even put in Trent Cole and Connor Barwin on the A-gaps in, in, in some situations. So I really like the way Billy Davis kind of constructed this game plan to attack that young offensive line. Yeah, and, and I think that we're starting to see a guy like Kendricks now. We're almost starting to take him for granted. I, I don't know when the season ends if he'll be an all-pro. or Who knows? But we're starting to see, I think, an impact player. His speed is really starting to show up, which tells me he's now playing on instinct. I think for his first two years, well, first of all, he had a change in, in scheme from his rookie year to his second year. So I think he was thinking the game. But I, as you know, because you probably watched him at Cal when he was in college, yep. he was used extensively as a blitzer, and he was really good at it in exactly. college. Yep. And I think you're starting to see the full spectrum of his abilities come out, and he's playing the game really fast. Yep, no question about it. I mean, he he. I don't know the stats off the top of my head. He had to have double digit tackles. Obviously, he had a sack. He had a broken a pass. He's an up. impact player now. No, no question yeah. about it. And uh, in this defense, obviously, I think big things are, are in his future. So let's transition a bit to the Colts. Um, obviously, a team that Eagles fans don't see often. We see them once every four years now. Uh, what are some things just off the cuff that Eagles fans should know about this offense? Well, first of all, they're going to play against the most physically gifted quarterback in the league. He's 6'4", 240 pounds. Uh, he's a bigger Aaron Rodgers. And in a terms, good, good athlete, too. In terms of physical skill set. Yep. So, so he's the most physically gifted quarterback in the league. Yep. Number two, this is an, a vertical passing team. This is not a dink and dunk, move the chains passing team. They attack down the field with route combinations at all three levels. Vertical, intermediate, and short, what we like to call the three-level stretch. And they 
move people around. They're very uh, multiple with their formations. They're very multiple with their personnel. They can line up with two tight ends in Fleener and Dwayne Allen. And by the way, that doesn't mean both of them are tight on the line of scrimmage. No. They could be flexed. They could be outside the numbers. They've got a very good receiving core. They've got Knicks. They've got Hilton. They've got Wayne. The rookie from Mississippi, Moncrief, played about 10 snaps last week as Favorite well. Favorite for both of ours Favorite, last spring. Yeah, and so, and and he can run, and yep. he's a big kid. It's a big receiving core, other than Hilton. So uh, it it really presents a challenge because when a team attacks vertically, Fran, your safeties have to play with great, great discipline. Because if the safeties make a mistake, and I'm not talking about a blown coverage where they're totally in the wrong spot, you can make a mistake just by turning your body the wrong way yep. against a specific route. You do that. And they'll go over the top of you. And Luck is a turn-it-loose quarterback. He's not a shy thrower. No. He's going to turn it loose. No question about it. And, and, and in watching these guys in the preseason and obviously Sunday night against Denver, uh, really, I mean, it, you you see that this is an offense with a plan. You know, they bring in a guy like Hakeem Nix, and people kind of, you know, raise their eyebrows a little bit to that addition. But they, he was parting with a plan. He's used on these shallow crossers. Yep. He's used on these drive routes. And that's his bread and butter. Put Get the ball in his hands and let him get yards after the catch. He's well, with the Giants, guy. he was always the, the ex-ISO receiver. He right. replaced Burris as the ex-ISO receiver for the Giants. And before he got hurt, he was really good. He could win isolation routes. Yep. And we'll see if he gets back to that. Uh, the one thing I will say, now I know the score dictated what happened when they lost on Monday night, but luck dropped back 60 times. They can't do that. And and Trent Richardson, he has not looked very good, and so far I've been wrong on Trent Richardson. He looks very hesitant when he runs, although he runs very hard, but he looks stiff to me. But they're going to have to have a semblance of balance. As good as Andrew Luck is, and he's really gifted, you can't have him drop back even 45 times yeah. because he takes too many shots. It's not a great O-line. That's the other thing where the Eagles, I think, can make some hay here. It's not a great O-line. And if you ask Andrew Luck to drop back too many times, he's going to get hit. And when I say get hit, not just take shots in the pocket, but he'll end up running and then he gets tackled. And people don't look at quarterbacks getting tackled necessarily as taking shots. But you know what? That They count. They count they up. Count. Exactly. They rack up. Now, let me, let me ask you this. This offensive line, uh, you touched on it. Obviously, it's not a extremely talented no. group. They're not really getting much movement in the run game either. And I no. know part of it is yeah. a testament to uh, to Trent Richardson as well. But, I mean, they'll, they'll get down inside the five and they'll throw the ball three nope. times. You're exa- and they also then count on luck with his movement ability. No question. Um, yeah, it's not an O-line that's been really opening holes. I mean, almost every team you watch, there's a couple of plays a game where a back actually has a hole with, with the Colts. You just don't see that. And Last week, they had Shipley, the former Penn State kid, who I think had been there for a week, started at center. Yep. And he made a few mental mistakes to be expected. I don't think he was physically overmatched too often. Made a few mental mistakes. But the point is, this is where I think the Eagles and Bill Davis with the double-A gap looks, with movement before the snap, you know. And the Colts will sometimes play no huddle, but it's not a speed no huddle. Right. It's luck at the line of scrimmage, playing more like a Peyton Manning or a Phillip Rivers. Yep. So I think it gives Bill Davis an opportunity to do some movement before the snap of the ball. And you refer to these two tight ends, obviously Dwayne Allen and Kobe Fleener. They double-dipped there on the second and third round a couple years back. Uh, what, what is your take on them? And obviously, I actually saw them go with 13 personnel with Jack Doyle Jack as Doyle. well. Uh, yeah. Jack, I like Jack Doyle a couple years ago out of Western Kentucky. Yep. 
Um, what's your take on the way that they use these tight ends? Fleener's a receiver, really. Yeah. Fleener is a guy who, and, and I don't think he's become what they hoped. I think when you watched him in college, you thought that he could become Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz. Yep. I was just going to say that. That's exactly right. And he moves. You could almost argue he he looks like at times he moves better than Zach Ertz, mm. but he just hasn't put it together yet. Dwayne Allen, to me, can become a very complete tight end, almost a slightly bigger and maybe more athletic Brent Selleck type player. You know, and Selleck's a very good complete tight end. I think Allen is a, is a bigger, slightly more athletic guy. Yeah, and he had the big touchdown run. The other, you know, I mean, catch that, and run. That was, was a nice play. Yeah, it was a really nice play. Yeah, I, I liked Dwayne Allen a lot out of Clemson because of his ability to be a complete tight end. I mean, at Clemson, we saw him line up in the backfield as a lead blocker. No question. Yep. No, and you know, th this is a versatile offense. Uh, a lot of different weapons all across the formation. Defensively, we talked about this group. Obviously, you know, you look at it on paper. Not a ton of names that really, well, really stand out to Well, they don't have a pass rusher. That's the problem. That's the problem. And now that Mathis – well, he would have been out in this game anyway. Yep. Uh, so they're counting on, on Werner, Bjorn Werner, who was the first-round pick last year. How has he looked so far? Uh, let's put it this way. I mean, it's too early to say one way or the other, but you don't see explosiveness in his movement. Yeah. And I think when you're a pass rusher – Especially when you're only 200, what, 55, 60 pounds, whatever he is, you, you, you need some explosiveness because he's not a true power rusher. And so they're really looking for a pass rusher. So they have to scheme pass rush. And as soon as you start scheming pass rush, sometimes you can sacrifice in areas of your coverage. So it'll be interesting to see how they go about playing the Eagles' up-tempo offense. You know, they've got a couple young guys down there that are, that are in backup roles right now. Uh, Jonathan Newsom, who they drafted out of Boston. We State talked guy. about him, yes, a favorite did. of both of ours. That's right. He played about 15 snaps this week. He played a lot in their nickel. Yeah. Uh, he came in as a sub rusher. And then they've got Cam Johnson, who was a. He got hurt. Yes. Now, I don't know if he's out this week. Ah, that's right. But I know he got hurt on Monday night. But I was really, uh, I was happy to see Newsom because he's a guy I thought, and I remember watching him and calling you up and, and asking you, are you familiar with this guy? Because yeah. I knew his name, but I wasn't really familiar with him. And I thought that he had a chance to be an NFL pass rusher. Yeah, and you know, he's, he's got some ability to play in space. He's an interesting guy. Yeah. I know he's playing some Sam for them uh, behind Eric Walden. So it'll be interesting to see how much, uh, how much time he sees Monday night. Uh, in the secondary, uh, you've got Greg Toller. What's your, what's your take on him? Obviously, they've got Devontae Davis you talked about. What's your take on Toller? Toller is a guy I think everybody always waits to be a good player because he's big and can run, and that's what you want. But he seems to just – and it's hard to put your finger on, but he just seems not to be able to put it together and be that guy. But you look at the physical tools, they're there. And, and I think that's why he plays because he's over six feet. I think he's about 210, 215, yep. and he moves pretty good. But he just – he's an up-and-down erratic player. And then, uh, obviously, LeRon Landry, who we saw right. in coverage against Julius Thomas down in the red zone. He got beat badly for a touchdown. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, what is, what is your take on Landry? Kind. Yes, I know. Landry and, uh, and Mike Adams, the other starter the Delaware back there. kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Adams has hung around the league for a long time. I think he's, he's a better player than he's probably given credit for. You know, not a star, but, you know, he started in Denver. Yep. He's starting here. Uh, started in San Francisco, I yeah, believe, as well. Yeah, back I mean, in the he's day. had a very good career you know, he's a guy that I think most people always feel you got to replace him, but then you can't replace him. Right. So he's a solid player. Landry still has very good movement and speed. Um, he's much, much better, I think, as a zone player than a man player. Mm. If you can get him in man coverage, I think he struggles. That's why I, I'm I'm very interested to see how the Eagles take advantage of yeah. the, you know how they use these tight ends this week. That'll be a really interesting thing to watch. Now, before we move on, Greg, I got to ask you: after going through the tape, week one. 
Were there any other surprises looking around the league? Surprises? Is there anything else that stood out to you? Well, the, I would say that the, the two games that were surprises were uh, Miami versus New England. Mm. Uh, they did, and, and what was fascinating watching Miami's offense, because Bill Lazor's there now as the yep. OC, right. is how much read option running they did. Uh, you know, out of that look. And again, you don't need the quarterback to be a runner, as we know in Philadelphia. But combined, Lamar Miller and, and Moreno, uh, no Sean Moreno, had, out of read option, had 30 rushes for 155 yards out of their 193 yards total. So it was really, really effective. And the other game that was really surprising to me uh, was Tennessee winning in Kansas City and winning kind of handily. Yeah. How did, how did Locker look in that game? Uh, Locker looked... Very comfortable. I mean, he's to me, Locker will always miss some throws you think he should make, but he looked comfortable. He didn't force the ball. Um, you know, I think that, that their concepts in the past game help him. They define things very well for him. He threw a lot to the outside when it was man, which is absolutely the right thing to do. So he looked like a comfortable player. Yeah, Ken Wisenhut's the new coach out there. They've got some young receivers, Kendall Wright and uh, Justin, Justin Hunter. Hunter. Exactly right. So we'll, we'll be seeing them here at Lincoln Financial Field shortly later on this that's season. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that team looks to develop. All right, I'm going to get to our interview here. I, I spoke with Tony Pauline earlier today, you know, covering college football. Were there any games that you checked out on Saturday? Yeah, I didn't see many of the early games, but then I, I got home to see a good part of USC Stanford. It's a great game. And I did see the Oregon Michigan State game. Okay. So there were two players that just stood out to me. And again, this is just sitting and, you know, eating dinner, watching TV. And I thought the running back for USC, Buck Allen, who I then looked up and saw was from Tallahassee, Florida. You know, I don't know if he wasn't recruited by Florida State, but he was a he's a 220-pound kid. He looks big, yep. but he's kind of fluid. I would say at times I thought he had a little Matt Forte in the way he ran the football. Interesting. You know, I don't think he's probably the receiver Matt Forte is, but just the way he moved. And then, of course, the Oregon game. I mean, Mariota played well, but I was a little more intrigued by the quarterback for uh, Michigan State, Cook. Yep, Connor who, Cook. Connor Cook, big arm, big kid, a little erratic. Yep. You know, missed some throws that he should have made, uh, but I guess he's a redshirt junior, yep. so I, I don't know how the rest of his year will play out. To me, he should come back. You know, I know it's early in the season, but I think there's something there to work with. Yeah, you know, watching him last year, he really came on down the stretch. Yep. Obviously, they won the Rose Bowl, uh, won the Big Ten title against an undefeated Ohio State team. Uh, really, I mean, he's got all the tools you want. I mean, he, the, oh, the big yeah. the big question with him last year forced a lot of throws in double coverage, into tight coverage, and that was, you know, whether he's a gunslinger. Some will say they really like that quality. Others will say, okay, you know, he should pull that down, throw that away. You know, you know he's got to be smarter with the ball. I saw our friend Daniel Jeremiah compare him to Carson Palmer in college. Hmm. You know, I'm not – again, I haven't seen enough of Connor Cook to make that comparison. Right. But I thought it was an interesting one. Yeah, and w watching that game, I mean, it seems like Oregon has – Waves of people on the offense and defensive line that are 6'6", 295 to three hundred five, well, and run well. It's right. you know whether it's Jake Fisher on the offensive line or Hronis Grassu with the center, uh, Arik Armstead on the defensive line. You know, just I'm just throwing names out at this point, but they've just got waves of big men that can move. No, they do, and and Mariota was impressive in that game. No question yeah. about it. Uh, he's one of my obviously favorite players in college football. Greg, great to have you on as always. Uh, we'll catch up with you next week. I'll be here. All right, excellent. So now let's get get to my interview here with Tony Pauline, DraftInsider.net. We're going to talk some college football. Joining me now on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, our good friend, DraftInsider.net's Tony Pauline. Tony, how are you, man? It's good, good talking to you. 
Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't that long ago we were talking about, uh, we, I was sitting in the studio there as the Eagles were making their pick. Uh, just further proof being back with you in the beginning of September that the uh, the draft and scouting is a, is a never-ending, uh, 12-month-year evolving process, but it's good to talk with you. It never ends. We had that, uh, we had what, about a month a, mo- a month off away from each other, and now we're, we're back talking again. So, uh, obviously, we're, we're in full swing here in college football season. It's week three going into this weekend. Uh, the big news this week, really the best player that I thought you know was playing college football this year, one of the best guys that I watched preparing for the next year's draft, uh, Iowa left tackle Brandon Scherf going down with a right knee injury. Uh, what's the latest there, Tony? What can you tell us? Well, I heard it's a meniscus uh, sort of injury, and that's a couple of weeks off. I mean, it's not good, but it's not serious. Uh, he's a terrific left tackle. Uh, if you look at the Iowa schedule, it's really towards the, the end of the season when you get into uh, the middle, of no- the beginning of November when they play uh, Minnesota. Minnesota has an outstanding pass rusher, uh, a junior by the name of Theory Cochran, and then their last game against Nebraska when he'll be faced off against Randy Gregory, uh, who by most accounts is a top twenty pick. You really want to see Scherf hopefully healthy and back on the field for those games. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of discussion and opinion in the uh, in the scouting community about where Scherf stands as far as is he the best tackle in uh, college, best senior tackle, best tackle from the senior class, or is it Cedric Abuge of Texas A&M? The fact is, that Scherf is a quality player. He's a first round pick. Does, it's not going to help him at all. I mean, it, it, it's not good news, but it's not devastating news because I, I would expect to see him back on the field at some point in time this season. Obviously, it's it, you know it's always tough to kind of compare these guys from class to class. But when you've got Scherf, you've got a Bowie from Texas A&M. How do you compare those guys, and where would they rank with the with the likes of Greg Robinson and and Jake Matthews, Luke Jokel, obviously Lane Johnson, who is here in Philly, Eric Fisher. Where where do these guys? You know, obviously it's very early in the draft process. Uh, you know, for the 2015 draft, but uh, off the cuff, where, where are we looking at with a guy like Scherf? And uh, you know, obviously you said this injury is not going to hurt him too much long term, but uh, where does he stand right now in your eyes? You know, I, I think that the guys that you, the guys we talked about from this year's class, the top seniors, are somewhere below Robinson and Jake Matthews, but ahead of the Luke Jokels uh, and the Eric Fishers. Although Lane Johnson is really turning out to be a dynamite player, so we've got to kind of keep him out of the equation. Uh, I, I think both seniors are going to be early first-round picks. I, say, I think that a, a bootleg of... Uh, of, uh, of Texas A&M has the potential to be a top eight pick. Uh, Scherf probably slightly uh, a little bit lower, but I think when you look at it from a talent level, they're better than Fisher and Jokel. I don't like them as much. I don't think they're as NFL ready as Jake Matthews. I don't think either guy has the same incredible upside of Robinson. But as we've seen with Robinson, you know, just because you have a, have a great upside doesn't mean it's going to be met, and there may be some bumps in the road before you're NFL ready. Yeah, sure. Like I said earlier, Scherf was a guy who, you know, watching him this summer, he just he really jumped off the film to me. I, a guy I was really, really impressed with. Uh, let's move along here to uh, to Jake Fisher from Oregon. Obviously, a guy who stepped in for Tyler Johnstone. Uh, Johnstone was Oregon's left tackle, went down in, in camp with an injury. Now Jake Fisher steps up at left tackle and has really, really impressed you as uh, one of your risers this week after the game against Michigan State. Yeah, absolutely. And it was a fun game to watch. And, you know, Fisher, he's not flashy. He doesn't have the great footwork. He, he's not as nasty or explosive as Scherf. He doesn't have the ability to slide out as easily as some of the top left tackles, but he's just fundamentally sound. He's smart, makes good use of angles and body positioning. You know, really, 
uh, Michigan State was able to get some pressure, but it didn't come uh, from Fisher's side. I mean, he basically handled Shalik Calhoun, uh, the underclassman defensive end, undersized defensive end from Michigan State, who, again, most people project, and I think justifiably so, as a potential first-round pick. He really wasn't uh, much of a factor because Fisher was able to control him at the point of attack. Uh, you know, he, he's not one of these guys that really – you know, or, or just just jump out on your film, but he's a very smart, efficient uh, tackle prospect. I don't know that he's going to be able to stay at the left tackle position at the next level, but I think he's got the goods to be a starter on the right side, maybe left tackle in certain systems. So talking about a guy like Shalit Calhoun, is he a guy you know that you feel like is, is the, the first-round consideration is warranted at this point, or after a, a game against an elite talent like Fisher, are you kind of worried there? Well, you've you got to see what happens moving forward. I mean, the guys aren't going to be great week in and week out. You know, even though he wasn't able to get great penetration against Fisher, he did show some athleticism. He showed the ability to change direction and make plays down the line of scrimmage. It wasn't an intensity type of, uh, of concern because he was playing, uh, playing with a high motor throughout the game. You know, I'm not one that you really base a guy's entire ranking on one performance. Now, if Calhoun responds and has some big games moving forward, you know, then he's justifiably going to be a, a, a first-round pick, probably a top-20 pick. If he can't really rebound off of what was a mediocre performance against Oregon, that's going to raise some red flags. Yeah, it was, it was really just silly at times to kind of see how much NFL talent was on the field between these two teams. Obviously, both squads have done a really, really good job of developing talent uh, from the ground up, really, at Oregon and Michigan State. Uh, one of the other guys on that Michigan State roster, on that defense with Shalee Calhoun, safety Curtis Drummond, a lot of people see as maybe the top safety prospect in this year's draft. Uh, what's your take on him, and uh, what do you think his status stands right now? Drummond's a guy who I've really liked since his sophomore season. Watched him as a junior. When I broke him down as a junior, there were some things that, that concerned me. I mean, he's a good player, but he's not the type of guy that's very efficient or very effective over the slot receiver. And those were some red flags that I had wrote about coming in to the campaign coming into the 2014 season. You know, when I watched him against Oregon, and this was pointed out, he just seemed to be back on his heels. He, he just didn't seem in tune with the game. Blew some coverages. There was one long pass that went for a, uh, for a touchdown, which was more a mental breakdown than anything else. There were a lot of red flags during that game that I think that, you know, Drummond's got to get it back quickly because this is the sort of situation that if he's going to be a first-round pick, you go in those combine interviews, you go into those one-on-one those -on -one interviews during, you know, when the teams fly him out, they break him down, they show him the film, what were you thinking on this play, what happened here, why was the breakdown? He's going to have to answer for that, especially against an explosive offense like Oregon. I, I still like him. Again, I don't think you just base a, a guy's entire grade uh, on, one, uh, on one game. But as I said, you know, when I watch him, I like him as a traditional center fielder. I do think he has limitations in coverage, so it's going to be interesting to see what the, the, opinions of, uh, the opinions of scouts are moving forward. One of the things I really enjoy when I'm watching defensive prospects uh, in the spring, I really enjoy watching them play against Oregon because what it happens is it, when you play against that offense, it's really like going against the Eagles offense where they make you make tackles in space. So seeing how guys can break down in space, can a safety run the alley, can a linebacker play in space, uh, you know, can he make a tackle one-on-one, -on -one, those are the kind of things that, that you're looking for. And obviously, uh, 
you know, that, that'll be one of the games that people will look for when they look at Curtis Drummond's tape leading up to the draft. Uh, another guy that you really were kind of high on after this week, Justin Hardy from East Carolina, went up against South Carolina in the Gamecocks of the SEC. Obviously, it didn't turn out too well for East Carolina, but uh, what's your take on Hardy as a receiver uh, heading into this, into this draft? Yeah, and the South Carolina defense, especially the secondary, is not top-notch as it's been in the past, but the fact is this is Hardy has been a consistent, productive receiver since his sophomore campaign at East Carolina. He's good week in and week out. He's a fundamentally sound receiver. He runs good routes. He does a good job blocking. He can catch the underneath patterns. He fights to get up for those contested balls. The issue with Hardy is he's not very big. He's under six foot. He's not very fast. He's going to run in the four fives. So because of that, he's going to be downgraded. But when you look at his game, it comes with completeness. It comes with polish. You know, he's the, he has the ability to play in a variety of systems. You can use him in a West Coast system where he's running underneath routes. You can use him in a traditional offense, either out of the flanks, occasionally line him up in the slot. There's a lot to like about his game. You know, when you look at him as a football player, he's a top 45 pick. He just does not have those top 45 measurables, which I think is going to push him into the third round, where he'll be a bargain because the guy can play football. The guy's proven it since his sophomore season at East Carolina. Yeah, no question. I'm going to agree with you there on uh, on Justin Hardy. Let's move along now. Let's go back to the SEC. Marcus Golden from Missouri, uh, really one of, in, a, in another class that doesn't have a standout pass rusher in the senior class. Uh, a guy you've compared in the past to, to Eagles first-round pick Marcus Smith. What have you seen from Marcus Golden so far this fall? Yeah, in substance and style, sort of that undersized college defensive end who's got good short area quickness, who's got good long speed. I mean, if you watch him against Toledo this weekend, he was, he was a presence behind the line of scrimmage, continually blowing up plays. And Toledo's got a very good offensive line. They've got a veteran offensive line, so it, it wasn't they were just beating up on a, on a Mac performer. They've got a good offense. And I think that Golden, you know, you look at that Missouri program, they've put a lot of good defensive front seven players into the NFL draft the past couple of years. Sheldon Richardson, Connie Ely last year. Marcus Golden looks like the next one. He looks like a guy that you can use potentially as a one-gap pass-rushing defensive end, or he also has seemingly the athleticism to stand up over tackle, to be used in space, to, the ability to change direction, make plays in pursuit. Uh, came into the year highly regarded by NFL scouts, got some good grades from NFL scouts, and so far those grades seem to be warranted because he's playing well. Now you're going to get into the meat of the SEC schedule. Obviously the talent level is, is, going, to take, is going to take a step up. Uh, it's going to be a little bit tougher for him. Let's see how he responds. But so far, so good for Golden. Yeah, I think the pre-draft process is going to be really important for a guy like Golden because in that defense, he wasn't really asked to play too much in coverage, at least not from what I saw in 2013. I don't know how much that scheme has changed in 2014. as I've yet to watch them. Uh, but obviously a guy to watch moving forward. Let's keep it along the defensive line here. Obviously one of the most highly regarded prospects in this, uh, really in this college football season so far, Leonard Williams, the defensive lineman out of USC, Really a guy, I watched that whole game this past week against Stanford, and the play that really stood out to me was a, a play where he chased down Ty Montgomery uh, in the flat. What do, you, what do you think of Williams? What, what's his status really moving forward? Obviously he's a junior this year. Is it a preconceived notion that he's going to declare, or is there a chance he goes back for another year? I'd be shocked if he goes back for another year. I, I mean, uh, he saw what happened with Matt Barkley just a few years ago, and Barkley goes back and, and watches his draft stock. 
you know, drop almost three full rounds. But, you know, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, making plays in pursuit, a lot of tackles, and on a bum ankle. I mean, the guy was not 100%. He was rotated in and out of the lineup. There was some question as to whether or not he was going to play. So when scouts look at this tape and they see, you know, he did it against a, a, a conference foe in their stadium, basically on one leg, and it was nonstop effort and nonstop impact. You know, this is the type of thing that really is going to bode well for him. This is the type of thing that if he can continue this sort of momentum, you know, the fact is, is he can play in a four-man line. You may be able to use him as a, as a two-gap end. He's been a disruptive force the past couple of years. Uh, defensive linemen go much earlier than expected. So I, I think Leonard Williams is well on his way to being a top-six selection. I do think he's going to enter the draft. And I think a performance like Stanford, considering that he was on, you know, only, only had one good ankle and was playing on one bad leg, that's really going to bode well for him. This was a guy that last year was, you know, admittedly playing at 50%. Are injuries a concern when it comes to Williams? Obviously, he played on the ankle this week uh, and had some injury concerns. I think it was a torn pectoral in 2013 that he played with. Uh, what, are there, is there anything that is going to worry scouts, worry teams moving forward? If it's something that's consistent, yes. I mean, torn pectoral, those things happen. A sprained ankle, those things happen. If it's constant joint uh, situations with knees or hips or something like that, where he's constantly playing under 100%, that's obviously going to raise red flags. You've got to look at each situation. You've got to look at each injury you know, individually and, and basically uh, break it down like that. Well, you brought up hips, and you just, you know, this is why you're a pro's pro, because the guy that I wanted to transition to, it's the last player I want to ask you about, Oamagwe Odigizua. I, we may be butchering his name. We, we won't find out, I'm sure, until the day before the draft this May. Uh, but the, the defensive tackle out of UCLA, I really, really liked him back in 2012. He missed all of last season after two hip surgeries in the offseason. 6'2", 275 pounds, is a great run defender, high-motor guy, positionally versatile. What has he done? I, I watched that first game against Virginia, and he was dominant. What do you think his status is? Obviously, coming off those two hip surgeries. Well, obviously, he's gonna. You know, there's gonna be a lot of testing, medical testing at the combine because that's what they do. A, a guy like that, especially with the joints, with the MRIs, and with the pulling to see, you know, how structurally how structurally sound his hip joints are. But you know, let's go back to what you said. You know, going into the 2000. 13 season, or before the season began when you looked at the uh, draft process, a lot of people thought that Casillas Marsh was a top defensive line prospect coming out of UCLA, but as you pointed out, I mean, the tapes hold a different story. Uh, Adika Zua was far and away the b better player. He's more explosive, he's more athletic, doesn't have great size, but he's got enough size, has position versatility. And that first game uh, against Virginia, the stats weren't there, but the effort was there. I mean, like you said, he jumped out on film. I mean, he plays with great pad level. He's quick off the snap, a lot of hustle. So it seems, you know, he's lost nothing to his game despite the fact that he sat on the sidelines with a hip injury during 2013. Now, obviously, Virginia, I mean, their offense is not that good. Their offensive tackles are very mediocre. You know, like, like we said about Marcus Golden, especially when he gets into the meat of the UCLA schedule, starts playing against Stanford, plays against the Oregon, goes against some of those top offensive lines. You want to see him how he performs, and of course you want to see him stay healthy throughout the season. The early returns are very good, and it's basically where he left off throughout the, uh, throughout the 2012 campaign where he was just terrific. Uh, if he has a good season and he's able to pass medicals, the combine medicals, because that, will be a bit, that is a big thing, you know, I, I think you're potentially looking at a possible first-round pick 
the fact that he can play in a, a variety of schemes. You could have put him on the inside of a four-man line, they use him as a two-gap defensive end. Couldn't even play him over right tackle on a four-man line. And he gets behind the line of scrimmage. He's got some natural pass rush skills. He's always shown himself to be an intense player, not a guy who just gets by on natural ability. So, I mean, he is definitely a guy to key on moving forward. Uh, and I just hope that he stays healthy because he is an enjoyable player to watch. I mean, he's a guy, like you said, back in 2012, jumps off the film at you, constantly making plays, constantly playing like his hair is on fire. So there's all good things there. Just hope he stays healthy. Tony Pauline, the best of the best. Like I said, a pro's pro. Really appreciate you joining me here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. We'll be talking to you soon. Look forward to it, friend. Thanks for having me. All right, so that's going to do it. That was an interview with Tony Pauline, DraftInsider.net. Good friend, one of the guys I respect well in the business. And obviously, Greg Cosell, thank you very much for joining me. We'll be back here next week with the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. Have a great Eagles week.